Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The rate of anxiety is rising among college students. The National Institute of Mental Health says anxiety affects about one-third of adolescents and adults. Here in Connecticut, the state health department reports a decrease in the number of students who say that they're anxious who received support over the last decade. Now, what's causing this anxiety? Today, we're focusing on the pressures on young people from middle school and beyond. How did pressure to get good grades or to be accepted into college impact you and your teens? Or were there other pressures on you while in school that impacted your life track after high school? Coming up, we'll speak to a psychologist and a school guidance counselor about the factors that impact adolescents today. Also, how much of this anxiety is parent-driven? You can join our conversation. Here's the number, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live, to understand uh, the trends seen around the country. Uh, Joining us by phone is Dr. Mary Alvord. She's a psychologist and clinical fellow with the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And she also has a nonprofit called Resilience Across Borders. We'll learn about that in just a little bit. Dr. Alvord, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. So uh, tell us, are students today reporting that they're feeling more stressed? Uh, What are the trends? You know, I think there is a great amount of stress. Um, The good thing is I think that we are more aware and there's less stigma in terms of discussing it, but I think there are tremendous pressures. Uh, School pressures that I think somewhat is imposed by families and children. They're applying to more and more colleges, and it's just on this cycle of can we do more, can we build up our resumes, you know, not just belonging to numerous clubs but being presidents. And this also leads to often less sleep, and we understand that sort of the basic bodily restoring um, sometimes suffers because we're just doing so many things. And when you have less sleep, you're more prone to be irritable, uh, you have more difficulty with concentration, and sometimes it's harder to make good choices. So I think there are, there are multiple factors that play a part. When we think about anxiety, uh, can there be healthy anxiety? And, and when does it uh, cross over to what's harmful, Dr. Alvord? Yeah, that's, that's a really excellent point. So a certain amount of anxiety and worrying helps motivate us because if we think about, you know, the test tomorrow or the project that is due, we get a little bit anxious about it, we worry about it, but it motivates us to get the work done. It drives us. Um, However, it crosses over to unhealthy anxiety when, in fact, it prevents us from doing what we need to do. And, you know, we get stuck. You know, we talk about um, also anxiety at that level when we, what we call catastrophizing. And catastrophizing, and we think the worst-case scenario, and it just builds up in our minds um, with what we call self-talk, you know, what we, what we say to ourselves in our heads, but we can build these up. 
and that's when that's when it gets in the way. So we really need to look at how much is um, a little bit of anxiety to help move us forward versus stepping over into that realm when it actually prevents us from moving forward. Uh, when we think about anxiety, is it at times could it be a, a learned behavior? So if you're if you grow up and you have very anxious parents, uh, does that kind of of feeling then translate to children and how they learn to cope or maybe not cope with situations that come up? I I do. You know, parents are models, so they model how to problem solve and how to cope. And I think there's also a, a genetic component to it, but I think so much of it is learned and which is why, you know, I've really devoted years to um, to working with teens to figure out how can we get those thinking habits and develop better coping mechanisms. And often parents can learn along with their children and their teens to do that. This is where we live. On the phone with me, Dr. Mary Alvord, psychologist and clinical fellow with the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Today we're talking about the pressures that are on adolescents and teens and and young adults. Uh, And where does that um, anxiety and stress, uh, where does it come from? What are the factors contributing uh, to those uh, feelings of being uh, overstressed today? If you're a young person that uh, thinks back to when you were in high school and and the pressure that was on you again uh, to either fit in or to get certain grades, even to get into what's considered the quote-unquote dream school, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Dr. Alvord, you mentioned that you've been working with teens for many years to help them uh, deal with, uh, you know, feelings of anxiety and depression. But I'm wondering, you know, we focus a lot on, uh, at least in in popular culture, uh, many of us are connected to our phones, our tablets, uh, the presence of social media. How has that um, contributed to uh, the way children uh, interact with others and the way they feel about themselves. Well, I think it's it's a um, it's a really important topic because they're all connected. You know, even even kids in elementary school often are walking around with smartphones, and they are privy to news as it happens and globally. So not only are we affected by what is going on in our friendship group as a teen or even at our school, but now it's all of the schools. And I think that that just creates a lot of stress. The other in terms of their interaction is that they can, it can be a positive if you're socially anxious. It might be a great way to communicate because you're not doing it in person. And so it might be easier to text someone or email someone or put out an Instagram to try and and connect. On the other hand, there is an expectation that you're included. And and what I see are so many kids who are um, feel left out because there was a chain and they were not part of it or they find out about a party or something like that. And so there's, there's pros and cons but it's certainly a very part of our everyday life. 
So for parents who might be listening right now, what kind of advice or suggestion do you have for them and how to navigate social media use? Uh, because at a certain age, children, you know, they want their own phones and they right. are then going to be having these certain apps that we can't always be reviewing. I mean, what's the, the best way to navigate that? You know, I think it's discussion. I think that communication is the key because uh, while many people talk about limiting use and, you know, not allowing certain sites, which is appropriate to a certain extent, I think you have to talk with your teen particularly or your middle schooler about how are they using um, social media, what are they using, what sites are they looking at, and and have a conversation so that they can show you some of what they have learned. I mean, I can't even keep up with the number of new apps that come up and, and new social media sites that they do. And I, as a, you know, as a psychologist, will ask my patients, you know, what sites do you frequent the most? What do you like about them? What do you not like about them? How does it help you communicate with your friends or, or even with your parents? So I think it's the communication is key. It's, you know, in what context are they using it and for what purpose are they using it? When we were thinking about this show, uh, the uh, one of our interns actually pitched it because she remembers how she felt uh, mm-hmm. uh, growing up. And at times, you know, we we have to realize we can't always be happy. Uh, but learning right. how to cope again with uh, what life throws at you, I'm curious if you could talk about uh, the work that your nonprofit does and and just uh, considering these what they call factors of resilience. Right. So. I, you know, I've been in, interested in the whole field of resilience, which now spans many uh, decades of, of research looking at what are the factors that help us cope, because we don't want to just cope in the moment. We really want to, as parents and as individuals, we want to build ourselves so that we can deal with whatever life brings us. And, you know, lately the school shootings has uh, have added a lot of stress to teens as well. But, you know, one of the key protective factors is being proactive, which means taking initiative. Uh, if something is not going your way, think about what aspects can you control, what can't you control, and perhaps, you know, uh, do something about the, what you can control is either accept it or take some action. And so preact, you know, proactive is really taking some kind of action and not feeling like a victim. Because when we feel victimized, then we're, again, we're stuck and we feel helpless. And helplessness leads us to feeling more depressed. And the other is having good friendships and social networks around us. Um, you don't have to have many friends. You know, research shows that if you have at least one good friend, that helps protect you against bullying and gives you outlets to, to talk with somebody and share and, you know, just um, be able to get the support that you need. The other is helping, helping, um, asking for help when you need it because we don't we're not able to do everything by ourselves. But the other side of that coin is also giving help. When we help others, that helps us become more resilient because we're doing something, again, active. As well as controlling our moods 
and an understanding, um, you know, what we can do to, to cope. Parents can really help by having high expectations, but that are realistic. Um, so I think you can hold the bar high, but you have to be realistic about it. And you have to also be warm with your child and sort of get your kids strength as well as maybe something that they struggle with. And then, of course, community is really important, you know, whether it's a faith-based community you participate in or a sports community that you participate in. Um, but, you know, having sort of a larger body around you that, that can help bolster you when you need it. I've been speaking with Dr. Mary Alvord, psychologist and clinical fellow with the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Her nonprofit is called Resilience Across Borders. More info at wmpr.org slash where we live. Dr. Alvord, thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Bye-bye. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we'll hear from young people about the pressures they face and talk with a clinician and a guidance counselor about ways to help young people navigate stress. Do you have a son or daughter who's struggling to balance school with other facets of their life? Do you think he or she faces more pressure than when you were an adolescent or young adult? You can join our conversation. The number 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about the stress and anxiety that young people feel between school, fitting in, coming into your own. It's a challenge for teens and their parents to figure it all out. WMPR intern Panina Beattie is a college student today, but she shared with us some of the pressures she experienced during her uh, during high school. Here's an essay she produced for today's show. The bus drops me off at 5.30 p.m. outside my house. I'm exhausted after a long school day. Jewish studies in the morning and secular in the afternoon. As soon as I walk through the door, I crash. Somehow my sleeping schedule has been disturbed by the long days in class, late night studying, or another bout of insomnia from the night before. I eat dinner and I'm asleep by 7. Most days I have at least an hour and a half worth of homework, so I set my alarm for 5 in the morning, sometimes earlier, to get it done. That's the schedule. Of course, only if I'm being responsible. But I'm 16. Responsibility is lame. My priorities are clouded by more demanding issues, like checking Facebook. Are my friends all hanging out without me? Is that boy I like there, too? Does anyone really like me? I watch TV to distract myself and fall asleep on the couch, shirking responsibility and forgetting to set my alarm for five. I participate in class discussions, but my teachers are disappointed with my homework or lack thereof. If I only put in more effort, I could be an A student. I want to go to Columbia, I say. My teachers scoff at me. You're certainly smart enough, they say, but you just don't have the grades. I don't take them seriously, and I send in my application anyway. It comes as little surprise to everyone but me that I don't get in. I'm disappointed. 
I compare myself to my peers and I feel like a failure. I'm expected to follow a traditional path to adulthood. If you don't get into the right college, there's something wrong. If you don't graduate in four years, there's something wrong. If you don't go right to college, or if God forbid you don't go to college at all, there is something very wrong. That was WMPR intern Panina Beattie who pitched the show, focusing on the pressures and expectations on young people today. Panina eventually found a path that worked for her, but getting to that point can take some time. Did her story resonate with you? Are you a parent of a child who's struggling with anxiety or depression? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, for more on what's leading to this heightened feeling of anxiety among uh, young people and what to do about it, joining me now in studio is Dr. Maria LaRusso. She's assistant professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at UConn, and her research focuses on child and adolescent social and emotional development. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Also in studio with me is Todd Dyer, director of school counseling at Avon High School and member of the board of directors for the Connecticut School Counselors Association. Todd, welcome to where we live. Thank you. I'll start with uh, Maria. I mentioned that your research focuses on on youth risk behavior. So so tell us about what's going on with adolescents uh, these days in terms of development and how it might be leading. Um, like what are the factors leading to these feelings of anxiety? Well, one of the things that we know now that we didn't know as well decades before is that um, adolescence is this new period of brain development. And so we don't see the kind of um, brain plasticity and maturation of this level since the ages one to three, so zero to three. And so given kind of what adolescents are going through in terms of um, changes in their cognition, changes in their ability to think more abstractly, um, and it's that the brain is developing more rapidly than their experiences to sort of match and um, kind of work with that new level of um, more complex thinking and problem solving and strategizing. And so um, often adolescents are trying to make sense of a world that is complex, including their own social worlds, their academic spaces, the larger world, but at the same time, they're still immature. They're still trying to figure things out. They still don't have um, the level of development that they need to make um, consistently responsible decisions, to regulate their emotions, to um, have perspective on problems that occur and sort of how they may not be a problem that's going to follow them throughout the rest of their lives. And so it's an intense time of development. There's so much going on. Um, and at the same time, there are many pressures, academic pressures, social pressures. And um, so typically we do um, see it as a period of intense change and growth and um, and there are many ways in which that leads to lots of positive outcomes, but there can be challenges on the way. When we think about uh, this latest generation, I think the term is Generation Z, uh, but when we think about the things that uh, are in their lives that maybe you know I didn't grow up with in the 80s or my parents didn't grow up with, uh, how does that, I guess, further exacerbate the challenges that uh, adolescents have to, to figure out? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some things are not, some things are still the same, right? I mean, there are certain ways in which um, adolescents are still 
figuring out their sense of self and their identity. They're still um, dealing with peer pressures and, um, you know, um, pressures with parents and how to how to sort of manage their more sophisticated understanding of relationships. And um, but at the same time, you know, we definitely see with social media and the kinds of things that they're exposed to um, and the level of exposure that that for the self-scrutiny that is typical of adolescents and the social comparison, there's a lot more in their faces in terms of what they feel like they should be, should look like, should be achieving. And um, adults can have, although not all adults, um, but adults can have a little more perspective on, you know, that what you see on Instagram and Facebook is a very polished version of people's lives. And, you know, but adolescents are really struggling to sort of have an image that matches many images of perfection that they're seeing all the time. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live, the number 860-275-7266. We just brought up social media. I wanted to take uh, this call from Key, who's calling from Otis, Massachusetts. Key, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So what's your question or comment related to what we're talking about today? So um, as someone who's 22 um, and growing up in a space where um, I was able to be heard by my parents and taken seriously. Um, there's this dynamic between the development of image, which the, pre- the previous woman who was speaking just spoke about, which is, you know, how do we grow up with this idea of perfection in a world where success is changing, specifically in the U.S., especially in a culture where, you know, it's the, the, the idea of success, you know, at least in, on social media, is all about having the perfect image, having beautiful makeup, having, you know, this is at least what I grew up with and saw, but as someone who was able to speak to my mother openly about my development, um, she talked a lot about, like, coming forward and speaking your truth and speaking to such as, like, mental illness, you know, growing up with anxiety or ADHD, being able to speak to that and saying that is a part of your image and that is not something that is to be hated or something that you can't speak about. Um, and, you know, so that gave me a lot of ideas about what are opportunities I have access to and what are my ideas of success and that, you know, having, um, various aspects to my identity is not a wrong thing because, you know, a lot of young people, Generation Z, especially I speak to, do not think they can ever achieve opportunities because they don't think they have the right type of success, which is a perfect image, which is what she was speaking about earlier. Um, and Key, instead, can I... you know, they're... Key, can I ask uh, when you were able to uh, make this realization? Like how long it, it took for you uh, to get to that point? Yeah. So, it, you know, after I hit 16 and I went through a, a lot of series of, you know, you know, changes in my life, I think around 18, 20, you know, 20, th- that time frame when I had to jump out of, out of, uh, out of high school and go into college um, and couldn't even get into private college, but actually went to community college and transferred. Um, and having to accept that and, and consider that a valid um, uh, ac- academic journey uh, was really when I. Oh, Key, are you still there? 
Oh, I think we lost Key, but we appreciate you sharing a bit of your story and just your perspective on, on social media today uh, here on Where We Live. In studio with me is Dr. Maria LaRusso, Assistant Professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at UConn. Also, Todd Dyer, Director of School Counseling at Avon High School and a member of the Board of Directors for the Connecticut School Counselors Association. You can join us, too, 860-275-7266. Uh, Todd, uh, you work uh, within a high school, so when we're talking about uh, the pressures on young people today, what are they? So I think, you know, I, I would uh, go off of what Maria said, that the, the changes that have happened in the last uh, few decades um, from, you know, from the school perspective and definitely for middle schoolers, high schoolers um, have, you know, we've had all the same pressures that were there years ago. But in addition to that, I think the challenges with social media, um, the recognition of mental health needs, um, and the just the competitiveness of our society uh, really have pushed um, kids to um, really have a lot of stress and anxiety. You know, at, at our schools, many people see that stress and anxiety, and school counselors are at the center of that conversation in many schools, um, helping kids um, understand what's going on and, and how and, and uh, recognize strategies to try and deal with that. And I think, you know, when we look at social media as um, one of the key factors, the change there in the last few decades has been that there's a constant feedback loop from the social media that kids are seeing on a regular basis, and it really is, is always there. Like, it's one of the things that is just, you know, constant in their lives. You know, before they would look at maybe a mirror and you'd see that outward image. Now, when you're seeing social media, you're doing a comparison of what's happening with your friends. Am I part of that conversation? You know, what is going on? Where are the part? You know, where are the parties? What what are people doing? And am I measuring up with th- those other individuals? And so there's this constant feedback loop that comes from social media that I think adds to that pressure. There's also the societal pressures, and as college has gotten more competitive, I think many kids have tried to ramp up their resumes of activities, and there's this this feeling that you've got to be involved in everything and be at the highest level um, to be able to remain competitive as you get to that ultimate goal. Um, and I, I put that in quotes of mm-hmm. what societal's expectation is um, to the, that college and then that career. Um, and, I, and I really like the feedback we've heard so far about the essay and also from the caller in that there's a variety of ways to get to that end goal. Um, and I, you know, I think that's a conversation for us um, in the schools to really be trying to get young people to understand that there's more than one way to meet that end, and that if you don't meet the end right away, that's okay. You know, that, that they, you can be okay with where you're at, and that sort of understanding yourself and where you, you fit into that next step. You mentioned the uh, Todd the the constant uh, feedback loop, but also uh, when uh, students see that they feel like they have to do more and more to get into to college. Uh, where is that coming from? Is that um, their own realizations when they see what their peers are doing, or does that also come from stress from from home from the parents who say, you know, you need to get certain grades. We want you to get to a, a certain school. Um, I'm just curious how how you know, you're able to talk with students about balancing those pressures and expectations. Right. And I think, you know, school counselors are at the heart of that conversation with their students and trying to help them, you know, build a rigorous experience in high school, but also balance that rigorous experience in a way that 
hopefully you can manage stress and the anxiety of it. Um, I do think, you know, there's, there's multi-factors um, that, that weigh on students as they're going through their lives. And a lot of times it's just trying to get through that day-to-day of how do I fit in? How do I become who I'm going to be? You know, figuring out what makes sense to me and then look at those next steps. But definitely a lot of uh, teenagers that I've worked with are, are dealing with the societal pressures. So this what is the norm? What is the ideal? Um, pressures from home, pressures from their friends and also pressures from, you know, the, the school itself. There's uh, often a culture within their own school system um, that sort of leads them to that next step. And, um, you know, I think success as we define it is really hopefully individualized. And, I, you know, I think in our work with students, we try and help them understand their successes, their strengths, their interests and their value as it relates to their future goals and not that the future goals define them, um, but that they are going to define their futures. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Taylor's calling from Ellington. Uh, Taylor, welcome to our show. Hello. I understand you're a freshman at UConn. Tell us about, um, did you ever feel anxious or a lot of stress in high school, and did that carry over when you enrolled as a student at UConn? Yeah, so definitely. In high school, I took a lot of the advanced placement classes, which basically just mimicked the college-level classes, and they, they give you the credit for those courses. Um, should you do really well in the classes. And I think that definitely that was a huge adjustment for me because it's not like you're going to class and the teacher's giving you everything that you need. The teacher's giving you a small bit of what you needed that the rest you kind of have to take home and work with yourself. You might have to teach yourself a chapter. So I think that that was definitely a huge adjustment for me. And then going into college, um, even though it was kind of stressful, I think it was helpful at the same time because I already kind of had those skills to be able to go home and teach myself a chapter or watch videos or study on my own and kind of deal with it myself instead of like the teacher like holding your hand as they may in other classes. That's uh, good that you had that support system, but mm. I'm wondering um, when you uh, see other freshmen, whether it's in your dorm or in your classes, if they're under stress, do they know where to go to get help, mm-hmm. Taylor? Um, so a lot of the time, UConn is actually very good with um, counseling and mental health services, uh, which is located, um, it's, it's, I don't know if you're familiar with the UConn campus, but it's located kind of in the center of campus. And basically, they'll always be open to take student concerns um, if a student has depression, if they're feeling anxious. Um, we also have a lot of other organizations at the university. I know that the UConn Police Department does something called Study Break with a Cop and Coffee with a Cop. And what those are is that during finals week and really any time, you could go and visit and sit down and talk to them and take a break from your finals. And so I think that that um, facilitates kind of a sense of community within um, both the administrators at the university and also the students to try to get them to get the help they need. But I think that definitely I know a lot of students and I know um, I don't remember who was talking prior to me um, about how social media can impact a lot of college freshmen. Um, Going in, I was very overwhelmed with how large UConn was because it's upwards of, you know, 30,000 students. And, um, I would always see, I would go on my Instagram and I'd see all my freshman friends having fun, you know, going out to parties, um, joining sororities and whatnot. And I often sat there thinking like, oh my gosh, am I not doing enough? Am I not having as much fun as them? And it it really can become toxic if you forget that social media is kind of a highlight reel. It's only really what people want you to see. You're not seeing, you know, the breakdowns that they're having over a biology test at 11 o'clock at night. You know, it's, it's nothing like that. 
Well, Taylor, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well in school and that there are supports mm-hmm. in place. Thanks for joining us today. And you can join us, 2860-275-7266. I wanted to go back to uh, one of my studio guests, Dr. Maria LaRusso, assistant professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at UConn. Uh, Maria, we heard uh, Taylor mention that um, she has had um, supports in place when she was in high school. She feels like she can really navigate uh, now that she's transitioned uh, to a college freshman. Uh, but there's this statistic from the American College Health Association. They do an annual survey of students. This was reported by the New York Times. And uh, in their uh, latest survey of students, 62% of uh, students felt overwhelmed, and that's growing each year, and that anxiety has overtaken depression. And so I'm wondering in terms of of what kind of services or supports um, are being developed uh, as we see that number rising. Yeah, we are seeing levels of anxiety that are peaking right now um, for adolescents. And so it's on the radar of um, schools. It's on the radar of researchers, parents. So um, I think part of what we need to be focused on is that we can get really caught up in schools and especially high schools um, on the academic achievement indicators and the goals for academic achievement and college readiness and all of those things. But part of college readiness or part of um, readiness for moving toward adulthood is really based in more um, non-academic skills. So um, emotion regulation, self-awareness, social awareness, the Um, kinds of skills that are part of social-emotional learning and development and that we tend to see a lot of programs in elementary schools that are focused on giving kids these kinds of skills and supports and coping strategies. But we see less of those programs in, in middle and high school. And even from a research perspective, we know less about what works at those ages than we know about the effectiveness of programs for younger children. And so um, so we, we want to be thinking about how can we be developing these other um, important competencies of adolescents because those are the competencies that allow them to manage stress, to bounce back, to be resilient to keep in perspective um, what's really important in their lives. That's an important point. And uh, Jennifer, who's calling from New Haven, uh, that's something that you're also working on is teaching college students how to manage stress? Yes. So, um, excuse me. So, so many things that people are saying are part of the bigger, what I call the palette that I introduced to my students. Um, One of the biggest things is just having them understand what stress is, you know, this idea of positive and negative stress, and can they even identify it? Do they even know about it? Because I really believe that uh, when you have awareness, it's very helpful, then you could say, oh, that's where that comes from. And so I spend, you know, my semesters just helping develop that awareness and then giving them experiential tools so that they can have choices at the end of the semester. Oh, I'm having palpitations. Oh, I can do this mindfulness exercise. Or, oh, I need to go dance. Or, oh, I didn't sleep last night. So I'm, I'm seeing every semester at the beginning, like people look kind of shell-shocked. And then at the end, you know, they're more relaxed and they have creative choices. And, um, you know, of course, it's for all of us. But uh, within the, you know, stress management class, um, that's what they're looking for. 
Well, thank you uh, for your call, Jennifer, again from New Haven. I wanted to go back uh, to Todd Dyer, who's director of school counseling at Avon High School and a member of the board of directors for the Connecticut School Counselors Association. Uh, Jennifer, the caller mentioned mindfulness. Is this something that high school students are learning today? So I think um, as part of CISCA's mission, you know, we're working hard to help uh, school counselors in Connecticut build comprehensive programs and make sure they're implemented systematically. And as part of that, we're looking at social-emotional learning and that has become a much more current topic over the last few decades. And, and more of our research and understanding um, in, in the human relations fields, understanding that those programs can really build skills, uh, give kids strategies to deal with the stress and learn how to balance those stresses in life with um, a, a healthy lifestyle. And understanding in, in the teenage years, because there's such hyper-focus in those years uh, on themselves, on what's going on with the stressors that they have on board, and I think working um, with classroom lessons, working with small groups and individual supports with their school counselors and, and school systems can really help balance that out and put it in a perspective um, because there are a whole variety of stressors, you know, learning to fit in, learning to figure out who I'm going to be, you know, where, where, where do I make sense with life? And I think, you know, some schools that I've uh, worked with, one of my friends, um, they've just put in a yoga room. Um, and, you know, that bringing those into the high school experience, um, you know, that's, that's, I think, where our next steps are going to be. You mentioned a lot of stressors. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, so much of the show today is focusing on uh, what we think of as, I guess, the, the typical stresses, like you said, uh, fitting in, pressure to get certain grades as you uh, conclude your high school uh, career, like getting into a college. But for some students, and we know this no matter if they live in a town of privilege or not, there can be toxic stress at home. And so how do you, I guess, address that as well, Todd? So I think a big part of, of uh, our work is trying to get kids to understand their strengths and then trying to find people that they can connect with, their support network, um, whether it be people at school, whether it be people in the community, you know, their own family. You know, I, I think uh, many of our parents um, are also dealing with the stress of their lives, and I think it's really important for parents to remember that they need to take that time to spend with their teenagers um, because they are their number one supports. You know, in many of the surveys that we implemented, we, we saw that come back time and time again, that kids are looking for their parents or family members to be that sounding board. Um, not that their friends aren't there, and I think a lot of parents see their teenagers sort of moving toward their friends as their, their core focus, um, their, their circle of friends, but also that the understanding needs to stay there, that parents are still going to be key point in their life. Um, and I think for a lot of teenagers, if if those supports aren't there, then building that network of support within their schools, uh, within their communities is also really important. Today we're talking about the pressure uh, on young people. In studio with me, Todd Dyer, Director of School Counseling at Avon High School and member of the Board of Directors for the Connecticut School Counselors Association, and Dr. Maria LaRusso, Assistant Professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at UConn. We're getting a, a couple of tweets. Uh, Marjorie writes, we're living through this at the very moment. Our daughter, a Berkeley College of Music student, is withdrawing as we speak because the mental illness has gotten in the way and there's no way forward at the moment. Uh, I wanted uh, Maria to uh, to address what Marjorie's saying about um, this low point that her daughter is experiencing. Uh, what are some uh, you know places or suggestions for where she can go for help? Well, there's always um, there's always therapy and other um, psychological services. Uh, often, it's 
when even whether it's children or adolescents, it's ideal to find someone who has a family focus, who um, will work with both the parents and the um, child or adolescent. And, you know, a lot of the callers um, have been really talking about college age. And, you know, when we talk about adolescence, really today, adolescence has become a very extended period. It's much longer than it was decades earlier. And we know that um, a lot of youth are continuing to um, um, get through the different developmental processes well into um, their early to mid-20s. And so parents are really key in that process all the way um, through there, even though adolescents start to pull away and need more autonomy. At the same time, they really need those family connections. And so uh, there are supports that are available for young people, but that also involve the family and um, are able to help the family figure out how to be the support system that those um, young people need. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanshu. We're going to continue our discussion right after the break, and you can join us too, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Next Thursday, join me at Grace Farms in New Canaan, Connecticut, for a discussion about the global refugee crisis. Panelists will be from the Connecticut Institute for Refugees and Immigrants and Save the Children U.S., talking about displacement as well as more on the resettlement process. You can learn more at CIRICT.org. We hope to see you there. Now, today we're talking about the stress young people are under today. Um, my guests in studio, Todd Dyer, Director of School Counseling at Avon High School, and Dr. Maria LaRusso, Assistant Professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at UConn. And we were thinking about, you know, what can help kids do better in school and balance their schedules. And one of the things that comes up is starting school a little later in the morning so that kids can actually sleep. This evening, the West Hartford School Board will be voting on whether to shift the school schedule. Joining us for just a couple of minutes to talk about this is Cheryl Greenberg, who's chair of West Hartford's Board of Education. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us, uh, where did the idea come from to shift uh, this, uh, the day in West Hartford, and how much of a shift are we talking about? Uh, well, the idea actually has been around for more than 10 years, but uh, the most recent incarnation uh, came from a group of parents and teachers um, who asked the board if, they would, if we would address the question of uh, later school start times for the sake of student health, um, both mental and physical. Uh, and the superintendent organized a uh, committee that was made up of parents and teachers and administrators and coaches, et cetera, um, sort of stakeholders, parents, um, to investigate. And they spent about a year looking at all the different questions from transportation to athletics to the science. Uh, and then they came forward with a couple of, uh, with a uh, proposal. And they, they came, they, they gave a pro and con list. Um, and then we asked for specific proposals specific times to look at and then chose among those times. And so the current debate is um, high school would start at 810, uh, middle school would start at 740 or 745, and elementary school would start at 840. And how would you characterize the debate in uh, the town of West Hartford, uh, Cheryl? Is is there consensus for this change? And what are some, what's the flip side of some concerns about shifting the time? Yeah, no, there's no consensus at all. Uh, it's quite contentious. There are uh, 
people who feel extremely strongly on both sides. Uh, most of the people who are in support uh, acknowledge the science and talk about their own struggles or their children's struggles with depression or exhaustion um, or whatever, or their own experience elsewhere in later starts with later start times. Uh, the people who oppose it generally talk about um, the disruption to families with the changing uh, with changing times, potential transportation costs. Um, they're dismayed, as indeed are we, about the possibility of moving middle school earlier, about uh, athletics issues, uh, things like that. Well, that's again Cheryl Greenberg, who's chair of West Hartford's Board of Education. Uh, Cheryl, before you go, there is that Hartford Current story that uh, just looked at um, some of the uh, behind the scenes uh, advocacy and sharing of information, um, and it focused on on you um, and how you emailed a certain a friend and advocate for later to start time. Did you want to address that at all? About do you think that that you handled it appropriately? Well. Um I tried very hard to be balanced in my position as chair, uh, to not take a position either way, but I never pretended that I wasn't uh, an advocate in my private life as an individual. Um, I think uh, the article completely mischaracterized and took out of context several of the comments, uh, and I'm trying to reach out to some of the people that were named uh, to apologize to them for that. It was not intended, but that's, uh, that's what happened. Um, and I am a ma- and I do apologize for any straying beyond the boundaries between advocacy and impartiality that I did, and I that I take full responsibility for. Well, Cheryl Greenberg, thank you for joining us just for a few minutes to talk about uh, this uh, a possible uh, vote tonight between uh, for the West Hartford uh, School Board looking at a later start time. And I wanted to go back uh, to our in-studio guests because I wanted to find out a little bit more about the science. What does the science tell us about how much sleep do adolescents need? I'll start with you again, uh, Dr. Maria LaRusso uh, from, uh, from UConn. Yeah, so... I mean, one of the things that we know, and it's probably no coincidence, that alongside um, high levels of anxiety in adolescents, we also have adolescents who are chronically sleep-deprived. And the science uh, supporting later school times for adolescents is really strong. Uh, The studies that have followed school districts that have changed to later start times have seen um, positive impacts in a very broad range of areas. So you not only see reductions in tardiness, um, reductions in absenteeism, you see um, improvements in academic achievement, reductions in anxiety, reductions in substance abuse, general improvements in mental health and well-being. Um, As someone who does research on looking at programs and interventions in school that are supposed to um, improve adolescents' um, social and behavioral development. I've never seen anything that consistently has impact on such a broad range of outcomes. And so the science is very strong supporting that. And Todd, again, uh, you're with Avon High School as Director of School Counseling. Um, in your career, have you worked or seen the impact of later start times on, on student uh, performance and functioning? So I know that there's a lot of research out there to the effect that says later um, start times are, are helpful for teenagers. Um, I guess my perspective is slightly different. I think it's a cultural um, standpoint and Kids definitely need a, a, the you know at least eight hours of sleep. The teenage years, especially because they're growing and developing. 
But I think a lot of our teenagers nowadays, especially with um, access to social media, to you know online content, they stay up late. Um, and so I think part of it is um, adjusting your schedules. And so if kids are staying up till 10, 30, 11, yeah, they're going to have a tough time getting up and going to school at 7 o'clock or 7.15. Um, the, the last two schools that I've uh, worked at, you know, we've, we've had start times a little bit later, so 8 o'clock and 7.40. Um, and I think those times are, are late enough to allow a, a student to get in, um, you know, and still have a full day and then have the after-school activities. Because there's definitely pros and cons to this argument. Argument, uh, as we already heard from our, our call-in um, guests, and those issues can really impact what happens after school, the family, and a lot of the extracurricular activities. So if you push the school day later, that's going to sort of have a trickle-down effect. Um, hopefully, again, you know, I do feel it goes back to the routines, mm-hmm. and I've seen kids um, you know, that have been able to manage that routine well and, and get to, to better discipline time. Uh, Todd, you're also a board of directors for the Connecticut School Counselors Association. We touched on this uh, just a little bit earlier, but depending on uh, someone's gender, their ethnicity, their socioeconomic uh, background, uh, the the pressures on them can vary. And I'm just wondering, um, from a collective approach uh, statewide, you know, are school districts adapting to the student populations they have? So I think one of the things I've seen in the last probably 10 years, but definitely 15, 20 years, is that you know we as educators, we as school counselors, I think mental health professionals, we've become much more aware of the issues that are on board um, and how they impact individuals' growth and development. And I think um, programs have been put in place to respond to that. And, um, you know, definitely much more open in our society now about talking about mental health and the supports that are needed. You know, it's not stigmatized as much. And I think, you know, people are more open to getting the help when needed. And, and that's a positive. You know, that's going to lead us toward the next step where it becomes okay to talk about the issues that uh, students are dealing with and individuals are dealing with. Well, again, I want to thank Todd Dyer, Director of School Counseling at Avon High School. Todd, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Also, Dr. Maria LaRusso, Assistant Professor in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies at UConn. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Again, today's show uh, produced by WMPR intern Panina Beattie. Also, thanks to Lydia Brown and Kion Wolf. And also, WMPR intern Phil Geolopsis did great work for us uh, during his fall internship. Today's his last day. Phil, thanks for your hard work. And to our listeners as well, thanks for joining in on the conversation. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.